You're listening to Bricks and Clicks, presented by MarketScale, with your host, Jennifer Kalo Ruskin. Hey there. Today, I want to talk about one of the easiest ways to get into Walmart stores, and that's Walmart's open call. Now, if you were lucky enough to get your application in right before August 10th, you might actually get in to open call. What is Walmart's open call? So if you have a product made in the United States, made in the USA, you are good to go. Okay, so the application process closed on August 10th, and if you have already applied for it, um, you're going to be notified by August 28th if you got in or not, and then the actual open call event is on October 1st. So I'm speaking to everyone here that has already applied for open call. Again, that was due on August 10th. They've already closed off any more additional applications or those of you that are interested in open call for next year. Typically open call runs around this time of year between August and October. It's also typically live um, and we are not doing a live open call this year. It will all be virtual pitches. So I'm going to cover a little bit of that today. Like what are best practices and how to do a virtual pitch these days? Let me stop really quick for those of you that have never heard of who I am. I'm Jennifer Ruskin, and I've either worked directly for Walmart or with Walmart for the last 15 years. My company, Growth Spurt Sales and Marketing, serves customers, serves clients who sell into the world's largest retailers. So my firm only works with Amazon and Walmart stores. So today I want to cover some basics of working with Walmart. Let's give you some good foundational sets so that as you start to develop a product for open call or even just to pitch into your regular buyers, you'll have some ideas. So I want to talk about two different fundamentals in dealing with Walmart. And one would be relevance. Is your product actually appropriate for the Walmart shopper? And two, I want you to think about buyer expectations as you create your item. Isn't that funny? You kind of put the cart before the horse, but you're not actually selling to a customer. You're selling to a buyer and you need to know everything right out the gate of what to expect. All of this information is from my online course, The Path to Walmart, which you can find on my website. I'll make sure and put a link to that in the notes below. excuse me, so hopefully that will be helpful for you. So the first thing we want to talk about is, does my product actually make sense? There are four different characteristics of the Walmart shopper. She's She makes about $76,000 gross household income per year. She's about 46 years old. She's a she, and she's white. Of course, that doesn't depict every single Walmart shopper, but as Walmart's done some really serious demographic investigation, that's who they found this particular customer to be. So I think about, you know, mom in her yoga pants with her hair thrown up in a clippy, trying to make a quick Walmart run before grabbing the kids from school or at night after work. That's the kind of customer that Walmart sees. What's really interesting is the average age and demographic and even income level between Walmart and Amazon is actually very, very similar. Um, Target actually has the youngest customer of all. They have mostly millennials, where with Walmart, they're seeing more Gen Xers. 
also definitely female targeted uh, is, is who Walmart tends to, to attract. So there's four more additional characteristics that I'd like to talk about. And this is, this is what I typically think more of the Walmart customer to be, not necessarily that more affluent white woman <laughs> that Walmart has found to be their customer. When I worked directly for Walmart, we talked so much about lower income shoppers and how they had very tight budgets, how they would do weekly trips to Walmart, weekly trips to the store because that's all their budget could afford. Um, they couldn't afford to go spend $300 on groceries for the next two or three weeks. They had $100 in their pocket and they had to make that stretch for the entire family to feed them for the whole week. And a lot of times that particular shopper, a lower income shopper, also pays in cash. So let's talk about some ways that you can make sure that your product fits into that very specific demographic targeted shopper. And one thing that I love to think about is coffee. So think about K-cups, how you can buy K-cups in like a 12 count, a 24 count. And more recently, we're seeing single serve. Now, I don't mean like just one, but very, very small onesie, twosie, threesie, um, you know, uh, packaging for K-cups. And I love that because it's telling Walmart shoppers, it's okay to go get your Starbucks. It's also okay to have your coffee at home. So we're going to offer you a three pack. So out of the work week, maybe three days, you have your coffee at home. And the other two days you get to go get your Starbucks. It, it allows the shopper some breathing room to be able to kind of have their cake and eat it too and really play with their budgets. So let's talk about does the product make sense and is it in a category that's growing? So three different categories that I like to talk about are books and koozies and chargers. And believe it or not, books have blown up again. Do you remember a few years ago when Walmart took all the books out of the store and then they put books back in and then they did a whole bunch of like audio books? That's been kind of the latest thing that they've done. I have never bought so many books in my life because of quarantine. And I'm sure it's because we're just bored out of our minds and we're home all the time, not doing anything else. Um, and so we're reading a lot. So this is a great example of a category that had its heyday, kind of went away, and then came back. Crafts is another great one where Walmart completely took sewing and a lot of crafting out of Walmart stores, realized they made a really big mistake, put them back in. Koozies. Dear God, if I never see another koozie supplier in my life, I'll be okay with that. <laughs> I've had so many potential clients come to me and they're like, oh, I have this amazing koozie and it really needs to be in Walmart stores. No, it doesn't. No one needs your koozie. Koozies are free. Banks give them away, right? Like everyone has koozies in their house. Um, so every time I've approached, uh, usually it's like an alcohol buyer um, or the front end buyer about koozies. They're like, this is just not a category I'm focused on. You know, girl, like I got other things to do. I'm not worried about koozies. Um, so electronics, like a portable charger, those are an easy yes, but they're also such a commodity item. When you're in electronics specifically, it's all about being branded or it's all about innovation and being able to be a private label supplier for Walmart and for their private label brands. So that's a kind of a tricky one. So you'll just kind of need to play with the category that you're in to see if it's really truly relevant to Walmart or not. 
if you're a small to mid-sized brand, and let's again, pretend like you're in electronics, the most important thing that you can do is grow your brand recognition. Spend lots of money on marketing. Get down to D to C level. That's direct to consumer level. You want every shopper in America to have your product in their house before you go talk to Walmart. Okay, how about 40 or 50% of, of, of Americans to know and recognize your product? That really needs to happen before you go to a Walmart store and ask to be placed in it. You almost have to have a cult following. And I say all this because I have repped multiple electronics brands into Walmart. And Anchor is probably my best example of a company that spent millions of dollars in marketing prepping the shopper online first through Amazon. And then I don't even think they sold through their own website at that point. I think they were all, maybe maybe there was some off their website and, and most Amazon. But they took the time and energy to develop really cool products and then deliver them through packaging in a way that the customer felt super special. And then they developed fun like VIP lists where if you were a frequent shopper, you'd get to buy something new before anybody else. They really created a lot of hype around the brand. One other thing I loved about Anchor when I worked with them was they used Amazon as a testing ground. So they would take a product right out of R&D, throw it on Amazon and see what shoppers said. And if shoppers came back and said, geez, I wish this valve was bigger. I wish this suction was suctioning or <laughs> that's not a word. They have another line called Eufy that has a bunch of vacuum cleaners. That's what I'm thinking about vacuum cleaners with this electronics conversation. Um, I wish there were more milliamps. I wish it would charge faster. I wish it wasn't such a big profile. I wish it was more square shaped, whatever, right? All the feedback that they got back on Amazon, they would take the first round, they would pull all the shopper feedback, make the adjustments, send a second round in, wait for the shopper feedback. And once you got close to five stars, then they would go, great, we're good. Cross this item off the list. No more tweaks needed. <laughs> then by the time they created a million dollar plus account on Amazon, multi, multi-million dollars, I'm sure more than that, uh, they realized, dang, we're selling a lot of product. Maybe we should go to Walmart. Maybe we should diversify where we sell. And so then they went to Walmart stores and now have, I don't even know, 50 to 100 SKUs probably. <laughs> that is how you launch an electronics brand into Walmart stores. I'm sorry. I didn't mean this entire podcast to be about electronics, but had some pretty deep knowledge in that subject. Okay, next we're going to talk about Walmart buyer expectations. So the first one is if you have pitched into other brick and mortars, other retailers, I want you to know that your Walmart meeting is not normal. Um, that and to say the buyer expects you to have a certain level of knowledge that's higher than Joe Schmo off the street that makes barbecue sauce in his kitchen or in his bathtub. Does that make sense? You should already know, like, what is your DMB score? What are your insurance and liability limits? What are Walmart's standards of you being a supplier? And all of this stuff is on the internet. Just Google how to be a Walmart supplier. Super easy. Walmart is very clear in what they want. Next, you want to think about global compliance. So if I am importing this product and the manufacturer is in China or India or wherever, Walmart's going to do an audit and you're going to pay for it. You need to understand the complexity of that. 
And also security. Are there any special security labels or tags or whatever that you need to be able to have on your product to help Walmart not lose money, right? There's a bunch of other things that are important, like really knowing your product and what the placement should be on the shelf so that you can do recommendations. You need to know your demographics and your messaging and consumer insights and do a shopability study and have a marketing plan and know your key selling points and maybe have some meals and data. It's a lot. So when people come to me and they're like, I really want to be a Walmart supplier. And I'm like, great. The first question I ask is, how much revenue are you doing a year? And if it's like anything under a million dollars, I'm like, you're not ready. Uh, Then the second question I say is, um, oh, great. What other retailers are you in? So Walmart doesn't want to be your first. They want to be like your fifth. Does that make sense? Walmart wants you to have worked all the kinks out. You need to understand EDI and transporting goods across the country and how to pass a drop test and all of this complex information. If you were to go to Walmart and they wouldn't let you anyway because they only want Walmart to be 10% of your overall business. You can imagine how big your business needs to be for you to get business with Walmart. Um, But Walmart doesn't want to crush your entire business. They don't want to make you go bankrupt if things don't work out. And the only way to know if things are going to work out is if you get the product out into the world and you let customers buy it and play with it. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, once you understand all of that, you're checking off your boxes, Walmart won't be my first, I'm making well over a million dollars, is you want to create a presentation deck for your buyer where design is important. So I don't want you to take like a 1990s PowerPoint that your company's been using for the last however many years and throw that in the buyer's face. Design matters. Think about the fact that you will be pitching your product with billion dollar companies that have 20 designers on staff. Get Okay, so you are competing with them. So I'm not telling you to go hire 20 designers. Think about design. Check out canva.com is an amazing resource that has pre-made PowerPoints. You can customize to your brand color. They're beautiful. You don't have to be a designer or be good at all visually. Um, You just, you know, write into their own templates and you make it, you know, you tweak it to your own brand, brand information, but you've got a gorgeous presentation to send to the buyer. All it takes is for the first two seconds of a buyer to look at a presentation deck to be like, these people don't know what the hell they're doing. And if your design sucks, they're going to just shut it off. The next thing, and this really applies more to brick and mortar meetings, you know, in person. Um, But I mean, this could also be the exact same as well from a virtual meeting, but be on time. I know that sounds really dumb. And this is way more complicated when you're actually at the home office. Walmart is complicated in the fact that there are multiple locations. So there's the ISD department, there's the MLK building that has more of home and apparel, and then there's the home office that kind of contains everything else. Private label is in a whole nother facility. Sam's Club is in a totally different building as well. So it can get really confusing of where you need to go. So my recommendation is always... um, be there an hour before the meeting starts so that if you do show up to the wrong building, you have enough time to get across town and park and get signed in and prepare and unload your samples and be there for the meeting, okay? 
One other thought that I had on this subject is not only be on time, but be incredibly well-versed in your category and know what the current mod, which is the set that the buyer creates, the shelf, know what it looks like. So what I do is right across from Walmart Home Office in Bentonville is what we call Store 100. It's one of the larger, highest, one of the highest volume super centers in America. And it's also kind of a test store. So it's always going to have high income, uh, newest, coolest kind of testing items. It looked like you could lick off the floor. It's so clean. It's a really neat store. And that's the one that the buyer is most familiar with because they're going across there all the time to walk the floors, what they call it. We're going to walk the floor. We're going to check out and see what's happening. So I always, like this is two hours before meeting time starts, maybe even before that. Maybe you go check it out and then have lunch and talk about what you saw. But always go walk your mod before the meeting time even the night before if you have a really early meeting so it's fresh in your mind. And a lot of times I'll pick up on things right before a meeting that I didn't notice before. Like, oh my gosh, did you realize there's a lot of white space and opportunity in the 5 to $10 price range? They're missing that, but we can solve that problem. You see what I'm saying? You're going to notice things or you're going to say, oh, I didn't realize that brand was in your store. It's not in my local store, but I saw it here. I love that. We are a great complement to that brand because blah, blah, blah right? So go walk the floor first in the in the store, then go, you know, this is maybe two hours before the store's not huge, it's not going to take you very long to walk it maybe 30 minutes tops. And then go get checked in, um, get settled. And then sometimes you get lucky and your meeting room is open and you can go ahead and get everything all prepared and set up for the buyer. And if it's not, you kind of pre-stage in the waiting area, which is in the front of the Walmart home office when you walk in. There's tons of tables and chairs and desks to get prepared. Go ahead and get ready to have 60 seconds. Like when you walk in the door, you're going to have about 60 seconds to set everything up. If your room isn't already open, you go ahead and you pre-prepare to throw everything out. Like plan out where you're going to put all your samples, who's going to sit where. There's a Starbucks inside of the home office as well. So go ahead and get everybody waters. Um, make sure everyone has pens. That's the kind of thing. They also have a huge gift shop, which is amazing. So if you forget anything, they're going to have it all there. Okay. Now, once your meeting is over, whether it be your online virtual meeting, which is what you'll be doing through open call, um, or any buyer meetings these days, pretty much all of them are all, all online and virtual. But even if you have, a, if you have the opportunity to have a brick and mortar one as well, I'm sorry, I keep saying that. <laughs> as long as you have an opportunity to meet in person, you always want to do an immediate follow up. So I do these in the car before I leave. Sometimes I prep them before I even go to the meeting that morning or whatever time of day you have. So go ahead and pre-populate your email to say, um, you know, dear buyer, thank you so much for our meeting. Um, here are the items that we covered. Here are the items that you showed interest in and like include a PDF copy of your PowerPoint into this message. Maybe, you know, highlight and call out the things with the pricing that they were really interested. You want to put in their meeting attendees and who was there from their team and your team. I promise you're going to forget all of this an hour after the buyer meeting is over. And it's so important to catch it right when it happens. Um, the next thing that you're going to be doing is sample drop-off or sample mailings. So your buyer is going to say at the end of the meeting, don't forget to ask, awesome, great meeting. What were you interested in? What samples can we send you? 
leave it open-ended. And then the buyer will say, great, loved numbers 3, 4, 10, 11, and 15. And then you'll mail them to wherever they tell you. Typically, it's the Fifth Street Layout Center in Benville. One thing I really want you to stop and think about is the unboxing experience if you're mailing things in. Okay, so typically in the past, we have taken an old box. And by the way, don't, for the love of God, do not use an Amazon box to send to your Walmart buyer. That's going to piss them off so many ways. Just don't do it. It's not good etiquette. Find another box. Um, typically, we take an old box sitting around the office, put some peanuts in it, <laughs> put some bubble wrap in it, throw our shit in there, tape it up and send it off. I want you to think beyond that. Because again, you are competing with billion dollar brands and the unboxing experience matters. If you're sending something that has scent, okay, maybe it's a special candle, maybe it's a baking item that you're making like gingerbread cookies. Um, if it's something that's smell oriented, what if you made the box when you opened it, there was some sort of like scent sachet so it was like filled her, I'm assuming the buyer is a woman, I don't know, filled her senses with the smell of gingerbread, okay? That's one easy way to do it. Another would be a custom box, right? So think Stitch Fix and all these other amazing subscription services. They don't just send you some crappy box. Spanx is amazing. If you are a woman and you have not bought Spanx, go do it just for the unboxing experience, there's cool stickers and the outside and the inside of the box is like all about empowerment. And sometimes there's like freebie things in there and it just feels so fun. And there's always like a little card like we love you and we are so grateful that you purchased these Spanx. I love stuff like that. And so does your buyer, right? So I'm not saying go do freebies because Walmart buyers would freak out. But think about what you love the most about unboxing and then create that experience for your buyer. Let them feel immersed in your brand and the fun of it. <laughs> One example, this is not an unboxing ex example, but this is a, an example of a brand truly living their brand identity. I represented Good Wipes, which is a below the belt men's and women's wipe. They have a line for women, a line for men, and gender neutral. Um, and their tagline is, you're a genius like vagina genius mixed together. You're a vaginius. Y'all, they put that on their PowerPoint to the Walmart buyer and I almost had 20 cows. Thank God she was my friend or is my friend. She's young. She's hip. She got it. She loved it. I was mortified, but it was the best meeting ever. And we got like six skews on shelf. <laughs> Be who you are. And if the Walmart buyer doesn't get it, and the Walmart shopper's not going to get it, you want to go ahead and not, you want to make sure that you don't get on shelf, if that makes sense. Like you want to repel who is not your ideal client or customer. You don't want to not be you. And then you find out once you get on shelf that these are not your people. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. Think about the unboxing experience. Make it super fun. And, you know, invest a little bit of money in it if you need to, to make it, to make it really special so that you get that yes. And then one other thought, like I said, how do you want to make your buyer feel and use fonts and use colors and use scents and use 
tactile feeling. I mean, maybe you're in apparel and you really want them to feel a shirt or feel a woven cotton or whatever, right? Make sure that you include all of that. Okay, guys, I hope that that was helpful. This should be taking you all the way through. Uh, what we just talked about today should be taking you all the way through who the Walmart shopper actually is, how to appeal to them, and how to make sure that your product is actually right for them. Then I gave you some insight on how buyers think and what their expectations are. And then I gave you a location of where to go and find this information. All you have to do is Google how to be a Walmart supplier. It's all there. Make sure that you are fully empowered before you step into that buyer meeting and you are going to rock the pants off of it. If this episode was helpful, please let me know. Reach out to me on all my social channels. Market Scale has been a tremendous supporter of this show. They host it. They mix it all for me and make it sound amazing. And I am grateful to be here with you today. Would also love to hear any additional things on topics on Walmart or Amazon that you want to hear. So contact me. Let me know. Bye, guys.